Welcome to the She's All That video podcast, conversations with women doing awesome shit, impacting lives, and making change. I'm your host, September Smith. In this last episode of Women's Month, I'm talking to Dr. Blanca Bernal, climate scientist, Antarctic expedition participant, and co-founder of AS Lideran, a group of climate scientists who are working for gender equity in the conversation and decision-making on climate solutions, and publishing books to bring children into the world of science. From her native country of Spain, to her home in the U.S., to the Antarctic, and around the world, Dr. Bernal provides technical support to governments, companies, and organizations in climate change mitigation and resilience. And through AS Lideran, she's promoting diversity and leadership for climate action, building bridges between science, society, and decision-making for a more just and sustainable future. She's all that. Welcome to the She's All That video podcast. I'm September Smith, and I am delighted today to have Dr. Blanca Bernal here as a guest of mine. I have been watching her for about the last two months when I actually discovered her on another podcast. Dr. Dr. Bernal is a scientist. She's a climate scientist with a specialization in, correct me if I'm wrong, in carbon sequestration with a focus on how natural wetlands can actually be part of the solution in that. But... In addition to that, well, we're going to get into it. She's got a really amazing story and she's doing some amazing stuff with other women, climate scientists. So Dr. Bernal, welcome. Thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, You, brave woman, did your master's and your PhD in another country, in another culture, in another language. What made you choose to leave Spain and go to the United States (laughs) to do your education in this area? Um, well, it wasn't really a premeditated decision. I just came to the U.S. with a scholarship when I was in my, doing my bachelor's in Spain and started working, um, actually voluntarily, um, in a lab that, that was doing um, wetland research and with a professor that kind of coined the whole concept of ecological engineering, which means using ecosystems and natural systems for the benefit of nature and humans. And I started getting engaged with that idea, very interested in the in, in the use, in, in restoring nature and using the benefits that nature uh, provides as a sustainable way to develop um, our societies. So um, after being there for that one year, I went back to Spain, I graduated, and I applied for grad school with this professor in the same lab and started with a master's. I thought that was going to be enough, but I kept on getting more engaged and you know started developing the scientific career that I pursued and, and yeah, that led to the PhD and the postdoc and, you know, the, the usual way until after the postdoc, instead of taking the traditional academic path, I just stepped out of, of that usual scientific um, career and I moved into applying science in a nonprofit um, to do also sustainable development. Now, it's so interesting for me that uh, the whole thing of using environmental existing environmental ecosystems to help correct the situation that we have created and then the climate change that happened because I'm, i myself am a, a mechanical engineer from way back and was very interested in climate change environmental or the impacts on the environment but at that time it was all what are the technical engineered solutions we can put in here we'll create this machine to do this and we'll we'll add this to the atmosphere and we'll do that instead of working with nature itself that yeah. is a wonderful development that we've gone into what what exists that we can use so how just briefly for the geek in me you i know you 
specifically focus on coastal wetlands. How can coastal or any wetlands actually help us with climate change? Well, in many ways, actually, not just the coastal wetlands. Every wetland is, uh, they're very dynamic ecosystems. They sequester all this carbon from the atmosphere and store it into the, into the ground, keep it there for the long term, especially if you're looking at coastal wetlands because of the chemistry of the water, the salinity is keeping that carbon locked in the soil instead of being released back at the atmosphere as, as greenhouse gases. Uh, not only that, they are also um, natural sponges in the landscape. So they take all that water that comes in from the watershed and they filter the water and it, they release it cleaner than it was, let's say. Um, so those are two very important things that, uh, that can help us, that, that are a service, an ecosystem service to humans, cleaning up the water and capturing carbon, keeping it out of the atmosphere. Another very important one, the third one, is that they are uh, biodiversity heavens because they have all these, there are this ecosystem that is in between um, terrestrial ecosystem and aquatic ecosystems. So they can harbor both types of, um, of plants and animals and microbes. And, uh, and they are very unique in that sense. And they are, there are many different types of wetlands and it's, each type of wetlands has their own um, uh, niche and their own characteristics in terms of the plants and animals that can live in there. But, uh, but yeah, they're, they're very unique and very relevant. And you are actually advising organizations and countries on how they can be using these ecosystem wetlands and, uh, and other forms of ecosystems to, to help them combat climate change. Uh, right, yes, the majority of my work consists in that. It's, we work with different stakeholders. It could be government, it could be a private sector, it could be other organizations. Um, and, and it's very much focuses on climate change mitigation and, and, you know, and using uh, natural resources to develop uh, sustainably with that focus on uh, ecosystem services and that focus on uh, either reducing greenhouse gas emissions or capturing uh, carbon from the atmosphere and locking it into, uh, into the ecosystem. Now, I recall hearing when I was listening, first discovered you, I was, I was actually doing a workout at the gym, so I'm walking around like with the weights going, like, wow, ooh, this is so cool. And you gave the little explanation about how the coastal westlands are different because of the salinity and as you say because of the chemistry involved there but they actually have almost no methane right. off gassing as opposed to other wetlands and i was like wow i just learned something <laughs> but it also occurred to me everybody wants to live on the coast and coastal development is huge the, the, the price of real estate on the coast is so much more lucrative for those selling it so we're kind of in a battle between what we need for climate change mitigation using natural ecosystems and the human desire to have a lovely place to live. Yeah, <sighs> and, and that's where the, the idea of, of understanding how, the, how nature works and, and how we have to keep a balance between human and nature systems is important because in the coast, uh, by not having those wetlands and having development, you're going to, have completely, you're going to be completely exposed to sea level rise, to storms, tidal surges, Whereas if you have a wetland in there, it's actually protecting your settlement and your, your urbanization, your, your, you know, everything that you want to build in there. And, and you're going to be more resilient to environmental change. And environmental change is happening. I mean, we know yeah. climate change, it, nobody denies anymore that climate change is real. What is difficult to track is what is the different impact of climate change in, in different areas of the planet. And, and coastal wetlands are definitely, coastal areas are definitely at the forefront of climate change. I mean, mm -hmm. not just for sea level rise, that they can also help uh, abate because a wetland basically uh, 
subsists by capturing those sediments and that water that comes from the inland, and they basically build up soil as sea level rises. So there could be a, a good way of stopping uh, subsidence of the coastal lands, yeah. but also because of the mitigation of climate change by capturing carbon and also by being a buffer from coastal storms. So just destroying wetlands and ignoring them is definitely definitely a step back for us and is actually taking us to the risks that we are seeing now with typhoons and the, the destruction really in the coastlines. Yeah, absolutely. So keeping those things, yeah, is like a buffer between you and the sea level rise and, and all those, the onslaught of uh, the, the damage from these storms that are hitting mm-hmm. us. That we're, and we've heard over the last number of years, they're getting more frequent and more severe. Exactly. Is, is there a lot of traction in understanding that in most uh, regions, do you find? Like our, our governments and or the bodies that make the decisions, are they understanding the importance of this I mean, vis-a-vis, this is... vis-a-vis uh, unrestrained development? Because, you know, the economy, development. Right, it's always a balance with these with these kinds of things. This is the same as when addressing climate change. There's always priorities that uh, people, companies, and governments have, and and thinking about the benefits uh, uh, the benefits of taking decisions that are sustainable, or the benefits of taking decisions that acknowledge climate change, are benefits that come in the long term. Whereas when you make a decision about let's build here a complex or let's build here a shrimp pond and clear this mangrove area. Uh, that is an immediate benefit that you're going to see. And that's why sometimes these decisions are not very popular because you're, you're going to see the benefits maybe after your governing period or after your, you know, the, the next 10 years of your company, whereas you would be getting the credit now and the problem would be for somebody yeah. else. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's a vicious cycle. The worst decisions uh, that we take now, the worst off we're going to be later in the future. So it's, it's important to start acknowledging that. And I think people are already thinking about this. I mean, there's definitely conversations is, is, is being more and more popular. As usual, the people that is more affected by this is the ones that are more aware of that. And it's not always the people making the decisions, the global decisions that impact everybody. So it's it's always challenging. Even within a country, for example, the US that is so big, um, the value of people, for example, in Florida or in Louisiana, uh, the value that they put on their wetland ecosystems compared to the value that other non-coastal states in the United States would put in coastal ecosystems is very different. So, you know, it's, there's definitely a lot of work to be done, but um, mm-hmm. we need to create well, more noise about this. Because of what you do and because of, of your, your position as a very esteemed scientist and researcher, you were chosen a couple of years ago to be amongst a very elite body of a hundred women to be part of the, I believe it's called the Homeward Bound Project. Project, yes. Um, yes, so what this what this program does is that it selects every year 100 women from all over the world, and it does so for 10 years with the with the objective of having after 10 years a thousand women that are um, that are better prepared to to be better leaders, basically. So, but the to... cool thing about this Homer Bound thing is they don't just choose some women and you do some Zoom calls. You guys <laughs> all got on a ship. And went to Antarctica yes. and worked together and studied together and collaborated and swapped out ideas. Now, I'm assuming uh, from what I've read and what I've heard about it, the p- purpose of that is to to gather these minds, but also to create women, female leadership in the area of climate science. So what was that experience like going to Antarctica and being with all these amazing women? Yeah, I mean, the whole experience was amazing on itself, not just going uh, to Antarctica, which is mind-blowing. And I mean, you go there and you realize how 
how powerful and how fragile it is at the same time is it's, it's it's definitely an impact i mean once once you come back from antarctica you you feel like you you owe the, uh, something to the place to keep on protecting and being an advocate for it, for the place because you know nobody is from antarctica so the people that go there once they they see it and get impacted by by the the magnitude of the continent and the importance that it has uh for for the rest of the world um you just feel like that need of protecting it and making sure that it doesn't get destroyed but not only that i mean besides going to antarctica is the fact of being with these other hundred women at the same time in the same place and you know everybody looking after i mean have, each one of us has different backgrounds and uh, different jobs and different aspirations but all of them all of us want the same thing which is a better world and you know a more equal world and more just so we all find ways of you know working together if we can and if not you just get inspired and keep in touch with this enormous network that keeps on growing and learn every day really i mean it's, it's an amazing group of people that must have just been such a rush how long was this entire homeward bound time that you know your trip down your time there with these people uh, so the program uh, for each year is a is a twelve month program. So eleven months of that is remote, but then uh, the last month uh, is in person, and it's where you all gather together and go to Antarctica together and spend a month um, a month in the ship and in the in the continent. Wow! Now, just in case there's anybody that is maybe wondering, well, what is the important role of Antarctica in 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 our world? You refer to it. But from an environmental point of view, what what is the role that Antarctica plays? Antarctica is important, like what I was saying before with wetlands. Not is is the biodiversity of the of the ecosystem is the importance that it has in the global water and nutrient cycles and biological cycles. I mean, there's there are animals uh, that come to Antarctica. They they feed in the land and then they go up. Uh, like like whales uh, or penguins, they, they go up into the ocean and you know they they, they create this biological uh, cycle, biological pump of of animals and nutrients that is fundamental to the health of the of the ocean. Because um, like everything else in nature, everything is at balance. And if we didn't have Antarctica, then there wouldn't be this this cycle of uh, currents and and nutrients. Um, and not only that, it's also keeping the I mean, it's a huge mass of, of fresh water. And if we keep on having this uh, increase in temperature due to climate change, it's going to melt faster. I mean, we always hear recently, in the recent years, massive uh, pieces of ice that get broken from Antarctica and float out onto the coast, like sizes of entire states in the U.S. And that is fresh water that... Uh, if put into into the ocean, I mean, not only is going to melt, and that also affects sea level rise, but it's also affecting the the currents and the temperature of the ocean and the entire cycle of of everything that is in there. Not only nutrients, chemicals, animals, everything. So it's like thinking about it from a mechanical point of view. It's like a governor in the entire system. It, it, you know, it keeps it from getting over revved or under revved. It keeps everything where it needs to be. We need that there, and it needs to stay protected. It plays a very key role in the whole mm-hmm. thing of the world as we know it. The sustainable world that we live in. So, not that sustainable. <laughs> it, well, working towards that, I guess, um, hoping to keep it sustainable. Mm-hmm. So, you and 99 other women are on this ship for the month and you're going down there. And out of that was born a very exciting organization. 
And the name of that, I believe, it's it's in Spanish, but A.S. Lideran, she leads. Or yes, they lead. Our, English is not appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> English is not appropriate for that because it's the pro, the plural of she, it's like the, the women lead. Yes. So I, when I looked at your website, I, I just love what I saw there. Um, one of the first things, and your name was right up the front with one of those amazing images <laughs> of, you know, the sea ice and the Antarctic. And uh, let's change the world was was the tagline for it. But the the we, girls and women, have a key role in climate action. And AS Lideran is working to highlight that role. Which brings me, well, first of all, tell me a little bit. How did that even get born? You guys are all on board and you're doing your thing. And what was, what brought it all together that you went, you know what, we're going to organize? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, so I, when I went to Antarctica, my cohort was the the fourth cohort and you know you have to get it, during the year you have to get together with different uh with, the, with other women that were selected with different participants of the program and you know work together to i mean this is if you, if you want right but this is what we did um, uh work together to fundraise and to raise awareness to the issues of gender equality and climate change and and so we quickly formed a team with the rest of the of the Spanish um, uh, participants. Uh, so that year there were seven of us, um, but we were not the only uh, Spanish participants over the the course of the of the program. Two years before, there were another uh, group of, uh, of Spanish women that were also participating. So, and we've been in touch with them. We once we entered into the program, we actually got connections uh, with them. One of one of our team actually was already friends with one. I mean. It worked out in a way. So um, we started thinking. They they actually were starting thinking about how to help us uh, do this fundraiser and stuff because they had already gone through the process, so they were uh, fairly familiar with it. Um, and from that cross collaboration and with the idea of thinking, okay, we have this message that we would like to amplify. I mean, it's not just about us going to Antarctica, but to try to move things into something that we think is, uh, you know, prioritary for the world, the, the change that we want to see, gender equality and climate action. So from all those discussions and the different interests of each of us that we actually complement each other fairly well, uh, came this idea of, okay, let's, let's actually make this official and try to see if we can, if we can have, in, in Spain it's called an association, but it's more like, um, like an organization in, in English in a way. So we created that. Is that the name? The Ellas Lideran, and and yeah, and the idea was to keep on growing over time and to get engaged beyond projects of homeward bound to do things that would uh, would help not only raise awareness on the importance of climate action and gender equality and science-based decisions, uh, but also get get engaged in projects, collaborate with other organizations, and and so on. So uh, there we are. <laughs> so. Some people might, and, and I've, I've heard this before, in the last year in particular, we have so many things that you know we want to emphasize that attention has to go to because there are so many catastrophic things happening right now you know, between the pandemic, but they, they're all actually kind of created pandemics, climate change, land use, that sort of thing. And when it comes to the whole thing of gender and gender equality and women's voices, having having a role here some people are like yeah this is unrelated unrelated why are we even talking about that we have to focus on this but they're not actually unrelated so in your estimation why is it important not to just have just men's voices in this conversation about somehow taking important 
impactful action on climate. Why, why, why is it a bad thing to just have men's voices? I mean, the first reason why it is bad, I think, is just because it is only getting the opinion of a, of a part of the population in the decision making. So if decisions are only made by men, they're making decisions for the entire population, even though they are only half of the population. And not only that, it's clear that um, men and women don't have the same exposure to climate change impacts. They don't have the same jobs. They don't have the same roles in the family um, in everywhere. I mean, and this is a, in every country, really, even the countries that call themselves fully developed, uh, there's a lot of inequality happening, right? So um, by not acknowledging the experiences and the wisdom and the knowledge of women um, that are obviously present in every part of the society, they are scientists, they are also decision makers, but, but their experiences are not integrated into the, in, into the policies and into the action that gets drafted to, you know, to do things in, in, in the world and in, in countries and so on. Um, then you're basically ignoring um, a big chunk of information, a, a lot of uh, knowledge that is just getting discarded. And it's valuable knowledge because it's a different experience than what you might be having as a man of privilege sitting in the, into the decision table. So everybody knows that uh, groups that are diverse are always making better decisions just because they integrate different views. And um, it is also known that uh, when women are in the in the the decisions uh, they tend to be more collaborative and more with a longer term mindset just because we are more used to doing uh, to having collaboration uh, to collaborating with each other and to having this long-term mindset so it's it's it has been seen in different studies that this makes a difference as well so in in terms of um, making decisions about nature and about climate change and and about sustainability it is important to take into account all the different views men, women, everybody, and all the different experiences and make sure that you integrate them into, into a plan that works for everybody. Otherwise, you're just having a very narrow and biased um, impression of what the world is and impression of what the world needs. Mm-hmm. And like Definitely. Be, I, I kind of think of it in terms of like if I was uh, developing some sort of IT and I had a wealth of data sets there to help me make my decisions and to formulate this to go like, hmm. I'm only going to use these data sets, even though these can tell me some important things that might be able to to inform me as to what it, no, I'll just go with these. And that narrow set of data, that narrow perspective, if we're just going with men, that's the very mindset. That's the very thinking that kind of got us in this problem. So as Albert Einstein says, you know, you can't expect to keep doing the same thing and have different outcomes. We've got to have the full diversity of our voices and our perspectives on this, if we're going to turn this around, mm-hmm. which leads me to some questions about, you know, turning it around and how people perceive it. Um, you said some of the top three, well, I asked you the top three questions that you get around this. And the first one is, is it too late to turn this around? Is it too late to take action against climate change? Uh, yes. And it's, it's very easy and very common for people to get uh, to feel to feel this despair that well, there's nothing I can do because my government is not doing anything. But there's everyday decisions that we can do that uh, that that can make a difference. I mean, if we all work together, even if it's small steps, we all can get pretty far because we are a lot of people. Um, 
and not only that, I mean, you as an individual, you have a vote, and uh, you can change the governments as well. So it's, there's, it's never too late to make these changes. Every day that we keep on not doing anything is going to be a tougher decision and a tougher action later. But we should always think that we have a chance to change things. I mean, we make decisions every day and all of them have an impact. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I find a lot of times on that, because I, I, I'm very passionate about this whole thing of climate change, climate action. I have been for quite a while. But when we have the conversation, a lot of people say, well, like, other than changing my light bulbs, I don't know what to do. Nobody's giving me an action plan. I don't feel like there's an organization I can get behind. So there is a lot of despair. Where would you be able to even give a like a, a vague suggestion as to where people can maybe put their energy and their action? to make that change if they really feel, and as we should, that this is a, a very dire situation that needs our input. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the first thing is to acknowledge that uh, climate change is going to impact first the ones that are less privileged. So I'm sure everywhere you live, you're going to see people that are not as lucky as you and that could use more than just a light bulb. So working with uh, people, you can volunteer, you can, I mean, there's so many things that you can do. and. And every every city, and particularly in the U.S., there are so many different organizations. You can have uh, different nonprofits that can that can be doing that kind of work where you live in your nearby area. Uh, local governments have always now uh, Department of Environment, or maybe not climate change, but definitely environment. So there's always things that you can do with those. Um, there's a lot of information in the internet. I mean, you can you can keep on looking, 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 and, and the information never stops. Um, and also one very important thing to do if you want to change people's mindset about climate change is talk to people. I mean, even if you don't have to be going to the other side of the city, you can talk to your own family. Often our own families, there are people that are skeptical or they're not fully informed because right now there's so much information everywhere and, ev- and everything is contradictory because there's poor quality information so readily available that it's difficult for people to know what is true, what is not true. Recently, we've been accepting things that are not true as reality just because they get repeated and repeated. Mm-hmm. So just by getting yourself informed and talking to other people and uh, clarifying any questions and discussing the fact that there are things that you can do, it's, it's already a big impact on itself. And as you say, the, the conflicting messaging that we're getting, I mean, there's so much fear-based, underpinned by fear messaging from industries, for example, the fossil fuel industry, that's like, well, if, if, if we make those changes, then the economy is going to get hit and you're going to lose your job and our communities are going to fail. Well, way back in 1995, a friend of mine had a bumper sticker on a car, which simply said, no environment, no economy. Like these two things are inextricably tied. Like, let's just get down to basics here. So finding your way through all that messaging out there and going, okay, what what really is the bottom line on this? Mm -hmm. And then deciding what you want to do. Well, you and your colleagues in the AS Lideran group have decided one way that you're going to have that conversation. And that's through creating, you guys all wrote a book. A A kid's book. And it came out last September in Spanish. And you were saying that it was also out in French. What is the name of that book? The book in English, it would be called The Secret Life of Viruses. And of viruses? Of viruses. Okay. <laughs> it actually came up, um, we got it published 
halfway la, uh, through last year. So it was uh, we started working on that, on that um, early on the pandemic. And, and the idea of the book um, is to teach or to raise awareness with kids and with parents as well, with simple concepts and, you know, and, and simple explanations. Um, the importance that um, the importance of, of nature in dealing with uh, these kinds of things, like our uh, sending the message that our health is completely connected with the health of the planet. And so by not preserving the planet, not only you're going to be weaker, you're also going to have more of these, um, more of these virus like the, we had in the pandemic right now, um, being released and, and exposing us to, to different threats. But uh, the book also explains what are viruses, the fact that there are many viruses in the, in the world and in, the, in nature, and not all, of, not all of them are bad. Some of them are actually pretty important for the functioning of ecosystems and of ourselves. Uh, the book also explains how an infection uh, in, in our body works and how our body combats uh, viruses. So it's not like we're always going to have to be uh, getting very, very sick. Sometimes we will, but some other times, uh, most of the time we're going to be okay. The importance of medicine and the importance of, of science in making progress to, uh, to make sickness and, and health issues less dangerous for humans. And... And, well, and then we also have some other information about what is a pandemic, what can you do if you're in a situation like this one, um, things that you can, you can do in a lockdown, but also do to preserve nature and to collaborate with others and so on. So it's, it's really a well-rounded story, not just about, okay, yes, there's a, there's a pandemic, this is what viruses are, but it's also telling you an explanation of how everything is fitting together in, in this idea of one health, which is, you know, your health and the health of the planet. And... Initially, some people might think, well, why are you, and I'm assuming all of you are PhD professors or researchers or doctors in your field, like these powerful women with these brains this big. Why are you talking to children about that? What, what, would, what would your answer be to that question? Why, why is it important that we address the children? Uh, well, obviously, the children are going to be the ones making future decisions as well, um, and not just in in 10, 15, 20 years, they, they also make decisions now by talking with their parents and so on. So all the knowledge gets transferred, not, also, not from top to bottom only, also from bottom to top. But also because uh, it's, thinking about the pandemic, it's a confusing time for kids. I mean, all of a sudden you have to be wearing these masks, you cannot stay uh, with your friends, you have to stay at home. So it, it's, it's a difficult situation. So this kind of explains um, how we got there and how we can get out of here and why it's important to, you know, to keep yourself healthy so you don't get uh, more vulnerable people healthy. But also it's important to tell kids uh, about this because when, when I, for example, going back to the Antarctica, when I was uh, talking to different mothers that uh, were working with, um, you know, uh, different aspects of climate change, they, most of them were talking about how uh, worried their kids were because, you know, the, now the, the fact that Climate change is such a big deal for everybody because it's getting more more attention and more as it should and and more um, more impetus in terms of uh, claiming climate action. The kids are not really seeing an answer of okay, we're doomed, but uh, what's going to happen then? I mean, they're they're getting this frustration very often because they don't. It's it's a very big problem. It's very very difficult to explain, and it's difficult to digest as well. So. It's also important to talk to kids uh, about 
yes, this is what is happening. It's not the end of the world. You can do something about it and it's really up to you and to your parents and to your family and to your neighbors. And we can, we have the means to get out of this one and we can do it. We just have to, you know, stay positive and work together. Which is such an amazing solution because when my child was little, I was lecturing at a university and my absolute passion course that I was teaching, it was a seminar, was environmental issues. And there was my kid and she's seeing mom and I'm, I'm passionate about researching and teaching and, and learning about what's happening and all the effects. And it was leaving her with a great feeling of despair and helplessness. And it's like, is, is my world just totally screwed up? And do I even have a future? So as a mom, I felt like, oh my God, uh, how, how do you balance the reality of it? What needs to happen and not totally overwhelm the children and, and the younger generations th that are growing into this, that mm -hmm. you've put a book together that actually addresses that and helps give them some greater understanding of it and a way forward. That's an and, amazing start. Yeah, well, the book is about viruses and, you know, uh, connecting your health with the health of nature, but it, it goes along those lines. I mean, it's, it doesn't get specifically into the very in-depth details of climate change because that will be a whole book on itself, but it touches on the importance of all these impacts. Um, so are you, uh, is A.S. Lizaran thinking of doing uh, book two? Where you then we, step... We have many ideas. Uh, we need a library of those books, so <laughs> get working. <laughs> I know you're busy, but come on, get on it. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I'll be the first one to buy it. So the English version comes out when you, I, I think I saw this summer. Do you have a... Yes, I think it's coming out in August, yes. With COVID, everything got kind of delayed. It was going to come out after, but it's already been produced and it's coming up in the next few months. Now, can people get on a waiting list for that to, to make sure that they, they're alerted when this book comes on sale? Uh, yes, you can actually go online um, to any place that you actually buy books online and, and you will see you can actually pre-order like any other books. So, yeah. Fabulous. So people could actually go on Amazon right now and pre-order yes. this book for their children coming out this mm -hmm. summer. That's amazing. Oh my God. And if people are inspired and want to find out more about AS Lideran or actually help you, how can people help you? That's a good question because we still have a lot of work to do to, you know, channel all this energy into concrete projects. I mean, the first, the, the most easy thing for anybody is to go into our website and, and contact us. Um, we say in we work mostly in Spain just because it's the central. Even though we most of us don't live in Spain, but uh, that's where most of us are always going back um, during the year. So there's always opportunities to do things there. If we have events or if we have talks or anything, it will most likely be in there. But now with uh, COVID and with webinars and stuff, we can also be reached out and, and be seen in uh, online. So there's there's always ways to do that. But yeah, the best way to to getting to engage is is to reach out to us through the website. Awesome. I'm going to be dropping the links to the the links so that people can get pre-ordered on this book. And or if they have children who are French, I'm in Canada, have well not half, but a portion of our population are native French speakers. So mm -hmm. it get the link there so they can buy it now in Spanish sure. or in Actually, I'm studying Spanish. Maybe I should buy the Spanish version now and study Spanish with your book. So we'll drop the, just an idea. We'll drop the links down below for the pre-ordering the book or buying the existing versions and also to A.S. Liran so that people can get in touch with you and see how they can throw their effort and their energy behind you because yeah. what you're doing is really important work. Thank you. 
Well, well, thank you so much for being with me today and telling me all about this. I my really pleasure. appreciate it. All right. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. So I will be keeping in touch and watching you as things go as things go forward. And let me know because I will be updating the notes. If there's any new events that come up that you are doing, keep me okay. in the loop. Okay. Well, thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for being with us today. Don't forget to take a look down in the notes to find any of the links to the goodies we talked about in today's podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast or the YouTube channel so you don't miss the next episode. Rate us or review us on iTunes or on YouTube and share us with a friend that you think might just need a bit of inspiration to start doing her own awesome shit. Do you know an incredible gal that's all that that you think the world needs to know more about? Head on over to our Facebook or our Instagram channel and DM me. Tell me about her. We'll see if we can't get her on the She's All That podcast.